0: You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders.
1: Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31 clean his clock.
0: Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time.
1: Fires down the middle. Got his man Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown
0: Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com.
1: Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders podcast ahead of the Seahawks matchup against the Indianapolis Colts. My name is Jen Mueller. I'm the sideline reporter for the Seahawks and I'm joined this week by John Boyle of Seahawks.com.
0: Hello everyone.
1: And by Aaron Johannes also from Seahawks.com.
0: Hello everyone.
1: Are you two really two different people or you this, you said the same thing. I say he stole my line. That well We're going to have to give Aaron the proper welcome here as Aaron is joining us for the first time on the podcast this year. And so what we're going to do today is take a look back at the Seahawks game in Tennessee against the Titans, look for some positives because there were plenty of them and kind of look ahead and see what that means going forward for their week four game against the Colts. So let's start and because I'm a silver lining type of gal. Let's start with some of the good stuff that we saw last week. Aaron, why don't you start?
2: Well, I think the first thing that stands out is just how good the offense progressed as that game went on. You Look in the second half with, with Russ and the production that they were able to have to be able to come back in the game late. Um, that was really good, and I th- I think when you look at the last few games this season and the consistency that they wanted to build, to be able to have those type of drives that they had late and that type of production, I think that was really big. And then also you just look at individual players, right? Like Doug Baldwin had arguably one of the best games of his entire career, and then Jimmy Graham bounced back with seven catches for 72 yards. So it wasn't even just Russ; It was also just guys performing to the level that we're usually accustomed to. So – um, offensively, that's the thing that stood out to me with Roz, Doug, um, Jimmy Graham as well. And I mean, even guys like CJ Procise had a few catches as well, Luke Wilson caught a touchdown, Paul Richardson caught a touchdown. So I, I think offensively as that game went on, that's the one thing that stood out to me.
1: William, you ended up with 433 total yards for the game. And so I guess, what does that mean as a whole, John, what were some of your big takeaways?
0: We're talking about the offense still? Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it's just what Tom Cable said yesterday. They got better. They're not where they want to be yet. They haven't got their running game going as well as they'd like for a number of reasons. But you score four touchdowns and put up 433 yards, you're going to win a lot more often than not, especially with this defense. So they've got stuff to build on. And, you know, piggybacking off what Aaron said, one of the things that's really stood out to me is this offensive line – They haven't been perfect, and no one expects them to be, but for all the consternation about the line going into the year and how it's just going to be this huge thing, you really look at the struggles they have had the last two games, maybe not the first game, the last two games, that hasn't been the line. It's been guys dropping passes, Russell Wilson missing some passes, some bad snaps, which I guess is the line, but not what we're usually talking about, worrying about with that group. So if they're making progress and that unit becomes what the coaches hope it can be, I really think the sky's the limit for this offense once everything starts clicking, and we started to see signs of that in the second half on Sunday.
1: But we also saw the fewest rush yards that we have seen from the Seahawks group, and I know that we're only three weeks in, and I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but I'm curious... The reaction you got from Cable on the fact that there were just 69 rushing yards and that they were averaging 3.1 yards a carry, which, again, is yeah, pretty it's not low. Where they,
0: it's not where they want to be, and it's been a number of factors. Some of it's just executing when they have run it, but a lot of it's just the volume of rushing attempts they've had so far. They were behind against Green Bay. They were behind for much of the second half this last week, so they were kind of in a pass-first mode. And then there's also been situations in all three games where they just, a drive goes haywire on first and second down where they're not able to run the ball. Uh, You know, I I hear a lot of people worry about this team losing its identity. They haven't played with their identity really
2: yet, but I don't think they've lost it. They just haven't really got the chance to do it. One thing to add on to what John also mentioned just about the offense, uh, specifically about the drives, the time of possession in this game compared to the other two games, The, the difference in time of possession for the game against Tennessee compared to the first two games, was pretty different. I mean, they were, it was 32 to 27, and then you look at the other games, they weren't able to really sustain any drives and have the ball for that much. So, that was another thing that also kind of stood out to me, is the fact that they had the ball more and were able to do more on offense, too.
1: What about this further conversation about the identity and the fact that they haven't yet played with that identity? Is it changing in general or by the end of the year do you think we're going to be looking back on this conversation and saying you know what the Seahawks are the same team that we have gotten used to seeing the last five six seven years
0: I mean you could argue it it might shift a little bit I don't think they're going to be as balanced as they were in kind of the peak era of Marshawn Lynch, both because of who Lynch was and because of Russell Wilson being a younger quarterback that they're maybe trying to protect a little more. So, yeah, they might throw a little more than they run relative to the 2012-13-14 Seahawks. But I do think by the end of the year, we're going to see a lot more games. It's going to be a week-to-week thing maybe, but there's going to be those games where they're playing for from ahead and they end up rushing for 150 to 200 yards. They, they like the talent of these running backs a lot. Again, going back to the line. That group's making progress. So there's going to be a game, whether it's this week or next week or the week after that, I think we're going to see them have, you know, 30 rush attempts for their running backs, bunch of yards, and all of a sudden we're like, okay, that's what this is meant to look like. And we got a little sample that both Bevel and Cable mentioned. The first drive of the third quarter was really the best. They said that's Seahawk football. That's what they want to be. And that drive was balanced. You had play action. You had some good runs. That's what they want to be. They're not going to do that every single drive, every single game. But when they're at their best, that's what they'll be. We have
1: yet to see the Seahawks rush 40 times in a game. It was 22 last week. It was 37 against the 49ers. It was just 18 against Green Bay. We've looked at some of the positives, and I think something that you said and and something that Aaron just said highlights maybe one of the concerns. I'm not not willing to call it a negative, but when you mention time of possession and when you mention not being from a position where you can run the ball, They've fallen behind early in these games. Now, I I realize that they've held the lead in all three of their games at some point, right? But when you are forced to play catch-up in the end, I know Pete's mantra is finish and, and finish strong and, you know, be the one who does right longer. Should there be a little bit more emphasis on starting fast?
0: I mean, yes, I guess. I mean, I I say that knowing that Pete Carroll forever is going to say it's all about the finish, but, you know, Doug Baldwin is interesting to talk about this. He almost, or he did suggest it, it's kind of the DNA of this team that they're such, they're so good facing adversity with their backs against the wall that they play better in those situations, so you're going to get the best out of the offense when they do get behind, but that's really not the ideal way to play and to kind of live your life out there, so... I, you know, I don't think they're going to like change how they practice to focus on it. it. Really, has just been sort of a little execution things here and there. And I, I go back to the San Francisco game of they could have easily been up fourteen nothing in that game, but mm-hmm. two drop passes in the red zone. So they did start that game humming along pretty well. And we can, it, it's funny as much as we talk about this, and you'd prefer to play head a lot of ga- a lot of memorable losses for this team jump out as games that they started well, including last year's playoff loss. They marched down the field and scored a touchdown. You're like, all right, here we go. They lost that game. We're talking about the Colts this week. They led that game in 2013, best team they've ever had. They jumped on the Colts on the road early, and this was early in the year, and we wondered, is this a team that can finally win on the road? Lost that game. So it certainly helps to play from ahead, but you're never going to hear Pete Carroll say that that's where the emphasis needs to lie.
1: Aaron, I want to talk to you about Doug Baldwin in just a second, but to kind of— to show what the Seahawks have had to deal with already this season when it comes to home and road and finishing or you know, starting slow. I, I did not realize until I was reading that this week, Seattle is the only team that has played two road games against teams that finished last year with winning records. And the Seahawks have led in both of those games. You have some really good competition. The schedule now kind of eases up and gives everybody a chance to catch their breath and get their footing. And Aaron, I think that could be a little difficult for Doug Baldwin this week, who's battling a groin injury. And Doug, gosh, he has been one of my go-to guys for interviews. But more than that, he's been one of Russell's go-to guys. And we have seen him take on more responsibility or be given more responsibility this year. He's coming off a big game. What happens if he's not as productive or able to be as productive?
2: Right, and that's a big question because he's playing with a groin injury. And groin injuries, if you've ever had a groin injury, they not, it's not something easy to just play with, you know. Um, I, I look at Doug, though, and you look at the production that they've had so far this season, it's been top-notch, like just between those two. And their connection has always been this good. I mean, even dating back to last year and obviously before that. But the rapport has just been really good between those two. It's been among the best in the league. But if Doug isn't able to go, I mean, he says he he said he's gonna be able to play. And he feels he's able to play, uh, but if he's on a limited snap count or if he doesn't play as much as we expect him to, I mean, this could be another good game for Jimmy Graham because I mean he's coming off seven catches for 72 yards. Now last year he performed really good at home. I, pretty, I mean, the game against Buffalo, he had two touchdowns and some other games as well. But I mean, this could be a good game for Jimmy. Uh, Paul Richardson has already has two touchdowns this year as well, so. I think in general this could be this is something to watch because Doug and Russ have a really special report that the I mean there obviously he's the number one guy to go to on his team but I think even if he's not able to go or if he's on a limited uh, account you can look at Tyler you can look at Paul Richardson you can look at Jimmy as just three guys right there that they can go and to get the ball to if Doug isn't able to go at a full speed.
1: And maybe even a little bit more more from Amara Darbo. And it's funny because you said if you've ever had a groin injury. I don't think I have. Even if I did, I probably just used it as a cop-out to sit out my workout for a couple of days. Here's <laughs> yeah, to fight the other. That one. I Yeah, you know, I, I, I will only fight through so much, John, and that just seemed like an insurmountable task. Here's the other thing I'm picturing, though, is Doug making those moves moves out of the slot his versatility his I shouldn't say versatility his value on the field is being uh jittery being able to get open I can't imagine how that groin injury impacts his shiftiness side to side
0: yeah I mean if he's in a situation where he can't run and cut pretty close to what he normally does they're not gonna I mean it's a long season this week four they're not gonna force him out there and risk something more serious um I, I would say even if he's not 100% he's become so crafty and He's such a good route runner. He would figure out ways to, to make plays and get open even at less than 100%. Uh, you know, I, I do think that the fact that they're home, this is a defense. You don't want to overlook any opponent, but this is a defense that has struggled a little bit this year, giving up a lot of yards, a lot of points. If there were a game to have a limited Doug Baldwin left on their schedule, this this might be one where you say, "Hey, you know, let's let's make sure he's right." Uh, Pete Carroll won't go into a game with that attitude because everything's important. But is the the armchair observer? We can say that.
1: Yes, and when you talk about a defense that's given up a lot of yards and a lot of points, I know that you were referring to the Colts. But we got to kind of look at some of the negatives, the, the challenges of last week's game, and as a result of a few big plays. The Seahawks' defense, those numbers are a little bit skewed. It is not what we are used to seeing. Aaron, what kind of numbers did we see coming out of that game? Since I'm, I'm pretty sure you're you're checking them out right now.
2: <laughs> well, one thing that's really interesting that I didn't know, I've obviously this is only my second year, so I, I'm not here for though I haven't been here for the entire PK era, uh, era. But one thing I didn't know was that, obviously, DeMarco Murray had um, 115 yards last week. Uh, Carlos Hyde had over 100 100 yards the week before. And I think this is the only the third time in the Pete Carroll era where they've had back to back 100 yard rushers allowed on defense, which is pretty amazing when you really think about it. Considering how long Pete's been here as well, um, so that's the main thing that I think of. And you look at like the runs that they had in Tennessee last year. I mean, or last week, Demarco Murray's was 75 yards, and then you look at the Rashard Matthews uh, touchdown as well. That was 55 yards on a bubble screen. So those are just two plays right there that I just think of. I'm like, man, I don't I don't usually see that from the Seahawks defense. I didn't see that even before I got here as well. Uh, so those are just two things that I remember This that just stood out was the rushing yards that they had just the last two weeks, but also just the big plays and the big catches that they've allowed as well.
1: And so, John, is big? Are these big plays something that we should be concerned about? Well,
0: yeah, I, obviously. Especially when it happens two weeks in a row. If it happened once, the Carlos Hyde run, if that was just one play, and you never and you come back and dominate the next week, you say, okay, they they made a mistake once. It happens two weeks in a row. There's a big play on a screen, a couple of big runs. There's stuff that needs to be fixed. Clearly, that being said, I'd feel more worried about a defense that was given up what are they at per yards per carry right now? Five point three or something like that. Worse than the league. If that was a product of teams just constantly pounding the ball for them, getting six, eight yards all the time, being an overmatch, maybe running physically, like eighty
1: plays a game that would worry me more ga-
0: than you know, they can clean this up. Pete Carroll preaches big stopping big plays so much. And they've been great at it for so many years. That to me is an easier fix than if you're just getting dominated the line of scrimmage every week.
1: Okay, so what if I told you that that 75-yard play, what if I told you exactly what happened and who was to blame... I wonder if that would change kind of the feeling that everybody has about these big plays. Because I started looking at the same thing and I'm like, man, this is just, you know, two weeks in a row. I don't ask about this. So I happened to be talking to KJ Wright and I said, KJ, is this something that we should worry about? I know that you guys say you know exactly what you did, but I don't know. Is, is this starting to become a problem? I said, which play are you talking about? I said, well, how about the 75-yarder? He goes, well, if somebody would have had good eyes on the defense and followed the fullback and done what they were supposed to do, that would have been a no play. I said, well, who is that somebody? And you, I, I don't have to tell anybody. He goes, that someone was me, Jen. I didn't do that right. All I have to do is tell myself correctly at the line of scrimmage, and it's a non-play. And then he went on to say that that play was a look that he has never seen before, and I think that that's significant because Bobby and KJ have played so much together. They have seen so many teams try to scheme against this defense. It is really really hard to find something that they have no base of knowledge for. And he said, sometimes, I know it sounds cliche, you're going to have to tip your hat to the offensive coordinator, and that's the play that I do it. And no team is ever going to be able to run that against us again without us knowing exactly how to respond.
0: And the fact that, I mean, you go back and look at through two quarters, that was one of the more impressive performances I've seen of them run-wise because we knew that this is a good running team and they are committed to it. And their running backs were getting nothing. I mean, they're getting hit in the line of scrimmage in the backfield. There is 1.8 rushing yards of carry in that first half. To me, that shows what the run defense can be. They clean up the mistakes, and I think they're going to be fine. And look, I don't want to make excuses because both teams played in it, but this team's also not going to be on the field in 90-degree weather with humidity again this year. And that's hard to do. They were on the field for 4-3 plays in the first half. No one was going to make an excuse for that, but that catches up to you. And look, you could argue that caught up to the Titans' defense, too. But
1: Well, you it, certainly saw a lot of cramping in the Seahawks yeah. that I'm not sure was
0: happening I mean, the, on the, the other f- side. The 55-yard uh, was a 55. The it's screen, 55 the touchdown. To Frank Clark yeah, Frank. may or may not have made that touchdown, but he was the closest guy to getting that tackle early in that play, and he cramped up yep. and, cramped up and was out go. of the play. So. You know, again, both teams have to deal with the elements and you hope to deal with it better. But I I don't think that we can look at that game and just say this. I I saw some people on Twitter. Oh, this defense looks old and slow. No, I think it was just not their best day in that second half.
1: But at the same time, I, I think the snap counts are worth watching because we do expect to see more of those young guys getting rotated in across the defensive front that I'm not sure we've seen yet.
0: Yeah, they've been oh. a little – I think they've been a little less deep in the rotation than maybe we thought they'd be, and maybe that just needs to come in time as they, as guys get kind of more comfortable in the defense. And you, it's I, Part of it, it's just hard to get Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill and Sheldon Richardson off the field because those guys are really good at football. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think as the season goes on, they're going to lean
2: on that depth a little more. I think besides Shaq, I mean, you look at like Ted Drake or Delano – I mean, the main thing for them would just be special teams and just come in to develop right away, right? I mean, Tedrick's been inactive for a few games, and uh, Delano's been mostly on special teams. This is an early part in the season where I think this is a good time for them to just come on and just kind of, like, learn the ropes and develop a little bit. So I think they want to ease those guys in a little bit more. I think everybody just pretty much besides Shaq has been able to just ease in, even, like, Ethan Posick um, on the offensive line as well. So I think that's mostly their role so far.
1: Well, and when you talk about having Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill, not only is it tough to get them off the field, but you'd be seeing different numbers out of them if it were different scenarios for the defense, right? It goes back to how the offense can help and and making sure that the offense is playing with the lead and making sure that the defense is making the stops so that um, you got to throw the ball a little bit. You can set up some pass rushing scenarios. Nothing makes a pass
0: rusher happier than a lead (laughs) where they can just, as the saying goes, pin their ears back and just go after the quarterback. So yeah. they, they would love to see a nice double-digit lead in the second half where they can just get after it.
1: Yeah, and that's going to impact a whole bunch of the other numbers, too, that we keep studying and looking at, like turnovers, sacks, quarterback pressures, all of those good things. So if they want to play with a lead against Indianapolis, give me some of the keys that we're looking at this week against the Colts.
2: Well, the first thing I think about is, I mean, we talked about big plays. I mean, you think about T.Y. Hilton right away. And Sherman was asked about him yesterday. Um, I think it's funny. A lot of times, when defensive players are asked about Ty Hilton. The, one of the main things they obviously say is that he's fast. But a lot of players just say he's small right away. I mean, he does have a, like a lower frame, but that's never stopped him for being really good in the NFL. Uh, so I think about Ty Hilton. I mean, he's averaging 18 and a half yards per reception. That's like similar to like what Deshaun Jackson is getting. And uh, when you have a guy like that that could take a top off the of defense. I mean, vertically, he's a, he's, he's a threat. So I look at, like, T.Y. Hilton, and we are talking about the big plays. Um, he's a guy that, I mean, it's, it's potential. He can just go pass on a defense and just uh, be free down the field. So, I mean, he's a guy to watch. I think that's one thing that I think about right away. Um, and then you also just look at their running game. I mean, I don't – I don't at 34 years old, Frank Gore is, has been one of the most productive running backs in the league. I mean, he, he came into the NFL when I was in middle school. And that's partly because I'm young. I know what you're (laughs) trying to say.
1: But meanwhile, John and I are about to come across this table (laughs) and let you know how we really feel about that. But anyway, the point on Frank Gore (laughs) is he's been really good for a really long time.
2: Yeah, and and he's also been very durable, which is is, is amazing because he's 34 years old. And in the last six seasons, he's played in every single game. That's amazing for a running back. That when you look amazing. at like his physical style and how he is as a runner, I mean, he had two ACL tears. I say a guy college, whose shoot. college career was derailed by ACL tears. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's remarkable. It's, it's amazing to look at his production just in the NFL, um, with all the thousand yard. I mean, he's, he's had three 1000 yard seasons at the age of 30 or above. This is amazing to think about.
1: It is amazing. That quarterback though, that they're going to face a little bit different.
2: Yeah. He's, he's a young guy who, you know, everyone
0: knows about because he filled in for Tom Brady for a little bit last year. And, uh, Played pretty well. And, uh, you know, it's, you look at what he's done, especially last week, he played really well. To come in as late as he did at that position and learn the offense quickly and jump in and be a week two starter, He's he's been very impressive. And now you talk about kind of key things in this game, how he and what's other than Frank Gore and Hilton, a pretty young offense, how they handle their first game here, night game, it's going to be really loud, You know, potentially a little wet just to how they handle the the atmosphere of a night game at CenturyLink Field is going to be pretty big.
1: And for those of you who are racking your brain, trying to think of the name of the Colts quarterback, it would be Jacoby Brissett because uh, Andrew Luck has returned to practice this week, but he will not be playing in the game after having off-season shoulder surgery that he just hasn't quite made it back from. And last point as we look at this game, and I think it helps tie everything in because I, I think we are all looking at this – as an opportunity to build some momentum, and when you take a look at the Colts, the weakness I think you see is in their defense, which should give the Seahawks an opportunity to do exactly what we've just been talking about.
0: Exactly. Yeah, they've struggled. I mean, they've given up 30 points a game. They've given up a lot of points late. With they, you know, they led there against Arizona. They had a pretty big lead against the Browns and squandered one lead altogether and almost squandered the other. So yeah they just you know they've had a few issues on defense and if the seahawks can just finish some of these drives early maybe get a couple touchdowns early and get a lead then then maybe we see the run game we're looking for we see the pass rush get there
2: for the defense maybe some turnovers an early lead could cure a lot of things and you look at their defense i mean besides Vontae davis Malik Hooker, um they they're they have a they're kind of rebuilding they have a young defense an unproven defense right now and this I mean, ultimately, for the Seahawks' offense to go off of last game, this is a good opportunity. This is a great opportunity, actually, for them to build off of that. I mean, they were 7-1 at home last year, and you can look at the difference of the production that they had last year at home. This is a really good matchup for them to be able to build off of. and. I mean, look at the the other matchup against San Francisco. San Francisco had a lot of talent on their defense with their defensive line and just some other pieces as well. The Colts are is, is not the same as them. So I think this is a really good matchup for them to really be able to build off of that because there isn't too much just yet on that Colts defense, and this is a good matchup for them to to build off in prime time. All
1: right. Well, that is Aaron Johannes. We've been uh, graced with his presence today from Seahawks.com. com as Young a, presence. As
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Just had to rub that in.
1: Uh, And John Boyle, who's also laughing right now at me. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seahawks. Thanks for listening to Seahawks Insiders today. Make sure that you check out the game on Sunday. Primetime matchup against the Colts. And we'll be back with you next week.